Welcome back to Return to Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Curry. We are officially back and welcome to season two of Return to Truth. We aren't done yet. If you haven't yet listened to our previous podcast episode or season for that matter, then please make sure you go back and give it a listen. The last episode we did is called Faith is the Victory. That's episode 20 on Return to Truth. Now, if this is your first time here with me, then thank you so much for joining me today. If you've been here before, I appreciate your continued loyalty to the truth, this podcast, and for coming back for more. As always, before we begin any episode, we need to ask God to guide us into a better understanding of His Word. So, with that said, let's start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of marriage but even more so for the gift of discernment, a way to understand in your word. Father, continue to guide us in our relationships so that we may glorify you in all things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's begin. The title of today's episode is Love, Honor, and Cherish. Recently, my wife and I celebrated our wedding anniversary. It's been an amazing experience. I would not trade it for anything. She has been literally my everything, my all. Because of that, I felt compelled to talk a bit about marriage, love, and happiness. No doubt we all have asked the same questions. What are the keys to a happy and successful marriage? How is it possible to continue for so long in a world that is falling apart? So many cares of this life completely depleted you of your ability to stay in tune with your spouse and your creator. We see it every single day around us, taking for granted what God esteems as holy, as sacred. The world's view of marriage is distorted at best. It is no longer what God intended it to be. It has faded away. Most have given up on it entirely. Now, I'm not saying I've got it all figured out. On the contrary, I'm still figuring it out. But I would like to start off with a verse of Scripture that I think accurately sums this up, for the most part, that is, at least from my point of view. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4 says this, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Now, why this passage? Well, it's really simple. Let's not overcomplicate things here. You see, My wife is my crown. Beauty and radiance shines, and as a crown, she sits upon my brow. The most highest point of me. Meaning she is at the topmost point in my life. She is always on my mind, my heart, and first place in all that I do. Without my crown, I am not a king. But you see, this also goes both ways. Even a queen wears a crown. There are two different crowns in every castle. It isn't just one side of relationship. There is a constant connection between the two. This is how you must think. This is how you must communicate. This is how you must act all the time. There's an amusing quote that says this, A good marriage is one where each partner secretly suspects they got the better deal. In other words, always acting as if the other person is the better of the two. So here's some statistics on marriage. 
In 2021, a total of 689,308 divorces occurred across the 45 U.S. states that reported the statistics. Researchers estimate that 41% of all first marriages end in divorce. That, of course, increases with each marriage after that. So this is a big deal. This is something we want so badly to get right the first time around, don't we? How can so many get it so wrong? However, the biggest part is making sure that God is at the center of all of it. God must be the ultimate solid foundation of which you can stand on. Nothing less will do. If you try to build on anything else, I promise you, your idea of marriage will fall apart. It will start to crumble at some point. Yes, you can live in a broken down castle, but for how long? So in a way, you must be married to God first. You see, marriage to God is like having a consultant by your side. Always refer back to him. To understand this further, you really need to read the instructions that he wrote down for you, and that's his word. Putting God at the center allows for you to have more peace and control. It brings guidance, and above all else, it brings closeness to him and your spouse. Having prayer, worship, and devotional time together daily, this too can bring you closer together. Bringing God into your marriage will keep your marriage. Marriage must be thought of as sacred. A vow to your spouse and to God, a covenant, a contract. More than that, it is to be considered of high value to God. It is the divine plan of God given to you for your relationship with another. It's not something to be taken lightly. We see it set in motion from the very beginning where it says in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They become one flesh, meaning they must connect in a way that harmonizes with one another. Understanding, knowing the very words before they are even spoken, living, breathing as if you are the very person themselves. This really brings home the idea of the Trinity. Now, it's not specifically mentioned in the Bible, but the concept is there. Three become one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all connected, all linked, all one with each other, all understanding. Just like it should be with marriage. God the Father, the husband and the wife, all connected, all linked, all one with each other, all understanding. You see the similarities here. Let's look, if we may, at the very first marriage in the Bible ever recorded. It took place in the Garden of Eden. In a way, Adam and Eve were married by God himself. Even though, not specifically mentioned, Adam and Eve were husband and wife before they were joined by God. Their vows were not for one another, but really for God himself. It was, in a way, the ultimate wedding ceremony. God presented Adam with a gift. It says here in Genesis chapter 2, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh in its place. 
Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. It's not good for man to be alone. God had a reason, a purpose for marriage. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Marriage combines both individuals in a way that you are now the same entity. We see that God brought her to the man as if God was blessing the institution of matrimony. An online article on this says this, Marriage originated in the heart of God. The Bible doesn't say Adam was looking for a wife or was even lonely. Nope. God saw that Adam needed a partner to fulfill the mission of life to multiply the image of God and spread the creative order of Eden across the earth. You see, God sees marriage as something to be honored. It's an honorable act of self-sacrifice and really shows us how we are to give our lives right back to God when we commit ourselves to Him. It's Hebrews chapter 13, 4 that says this, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Notice the last part here in this verse. If you are living with your someone outside of the bonds of marriage, you know who you are. You will be judged. You fall into this category. To understand more about this and what the Bible says about it, go back and listen to episode 16 in season 1, The Marriage Bed, to get a better understanding of this. That's not really what this episode is about, though. But it plays right into it. With that said, one of the biggest factors in all of this is love. A faithful and unfailing love. A relentless and never-ceasing love. A love that is worth holding on to. A love worth fighting for. I think it's best said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4-7. Listen to these words here. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This verse or these verses really says it all and should be held at the front of your mind in marriage. Words that ring out in this verse to me is, love suffers long. What I get out of these few words is that you must learn how to deny yourself and give yourself at the same time. Constantly, over and over again. So very difficult to do, yes, but it's possible. Treat each other as if they were the queen or king and you are the servant in the room. Here is the secret, and i got to say probably a cheesy way to say this as much as it sounds, never stop being each other's boyfriend and girlfriend. Remember that part of the relationship that started it all, that you probably forgot about. Continue to do those things you did when you were dating, trying to win them over. Spend plenty of time together. Don't stop the affection. I heard a well-known therapist once say this, it's very difficult to drift apart when you are holding hands. 
Think about the sea otters for a moment. When they are laying on their backs and the water is floating, they clasp their hands so they don't drift apart. Remember, feelings follow actions. Speak kind words. Do kind things even when you don't feel like it. Remember, it's not just you out there. Your life should revolve around each other. Remember the golden rule where it says in the Bible, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Guess what? That includes your spouse. It also says, love your neighbor as yourself. That also includes your spouse. There's no picking and choosing here. You can't get out of it. But going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7, through 7, breaking it down more, it can actually show us even more about the keys to success in a marriage. Let's look further. It says here, does not behave rudely. How many of us fall into this every single day? And how much of this actually extends from your personal life, your work life, into your marriage life? Keeping your cool, not giving in to the anger and temptation is at times very overwhelming. I get it. It's hard. She always does this. He always does that. You know, you know, here's another quote I like. It reads this, a successful marriage requires falling in love many times, always with the same person. So you see here, it's over and over again. You've got to fall in love constantly. It reminds me of another verse, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9. It says this, better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. In other words, take time to decompress, refocus, and get yourself back in check. Close the door and pray, or regroup and then come back around. Give it time. I promise you, you'll be glad you did. And if you don't, you may end up saying something you would regret. Trust me, I know. I think a lot of us do. Now, here's a word of advice to the husbands out there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, this doesn't mean weaker in a bad or negative way but rather in a sense that on the other side of things, the husbands are the stronger vessel in a sense that they are providers. There is no doubt in that and the leader of the household and should be able to control your actions accordingly as well as be that spiritual head of the home and a guiding voice. As husbands, you have a great responsibility. It was Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 that says, Wives, Submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Notice how it doesn't say husbands make your wives submit. He is talking directly to the wives here. It says wives submit to your husbands. Further commentary surrounding God's guidance on your choice of marriage reads this. Marriage is something that will influence and affect your life both in this world and in the world to come. 
A sincere Christian will not advance his plans in this direction without the knowledge that God approves his course. He will not want to choose for himself, but will feel that God must choose for him. We are not to please ourselves, for Christ pleased not himself. It would not be understood to mean that anyone is to marry one whom he does not love. This would be sin. But fancy and the emotional nature must not be allowed to lead onto ruin. God requires the whole heart, the supreme affections. So weigh every sentiment and watch every development of character in the one with whom you think to link your life destiny. The step you are about to take is one of the most important in your life and should not be taken hastily. While you may love, do not love blindly. In other words, you need to make sure that you will make the right choice. Will this union bring you closer to God? Do you both share the same religious views? A lot goes into this, as it can be a cause to drain you of your faith and even worse, your children too. On that subject of children, the last thing you want to do is train up a child in the wrong way. The Bible warns of this, and well, it's not to be taken lightly. It's Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, that really puts this into perspective. And calling him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So what this is telling us is that children matter the most. You should not be involving your children in your bad choices. Always think of the child first. You know who you are. I say this with love, not hate. Selfishness drives so many different things. Psalms chapter 127 verse 3 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Remember, they come from the Lord and are a reward. Don't forget that part. Do not bring them into a marriage or a relationship that is not founded on principles of God. You see, when you have children, all your focus and love should be on that child alone. Not your schooling, not your career, not yourself, but your child only. You have a responsibility to protect your child and train them in a Christian and godly way. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, it's what God would want. But that's a whole other subject we are getting into. Okay, moving on. Did you know that Jesus performed his very first miracle at a wedding? Take a look at John chapter 2, and you'll see where Jesus attended a wedding in Cana of Galilee. There he performed his very first miracle. You know, this is significant because it shows that Jesus not only approves of marriage, but also sees it as a miracle in itself, where man and woman unite to become one. It's like he is putting his stamp on it. It's interesting that he chose this as the time and place for his first miracle. Why not a synagogue? Why not in the middle of a town? Because this is the start. 
This is the beginning of something much greater. Jesus saw it as a celebration of unity and oneness, a partnership. The way it was meant to be from the beginning. And the way it will end, reunited with the bride of Christ. Some words to the husbands, the fathers out there, the spiritual leaders, and yes, maybe even the wives, as this really could apply to them as well. God has given you instructions on what you must do. You have the tools to help you in your marriage. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and 25 that say this, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Colossians 3, 19, never make their wives' life bitter. 1 Timothy 5, 8, husbands provide for their family. 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands treat their wife with respect. Matthew 16, 18, husbands and fathers take initiative. 1 John 3, 1 and Ephesians 5, 1 both speak of love her out of reverence to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, honor her more than she honors him. Next up, directly from the book called The Incredible Power of Prayer by Roger Murnau. It says this, because of the deceptive power of sin, a Christian spouse should be willing to do some serious preventative praying, regardless of how faithful the husband or wife has been to his or her marriage vows. No matter how noble a Christian one has been, it is still possible to fall. Even Satan himself was a sinless being. Every day it is good to thank God for having blessed a loved one with grace and strength, for having imparted to him or her divine compassion and love. Only when a person possesses the love of Christ can he or she display toward a fellow human being the heavenly graces that adorn the character of our great Redeemer. The spouse who wants to spend eternity with his or her husband, as well as have him or her in the present life, must secure the stabilizing influence of the Holy Spirit, that great divine power that alone can impart purity of thought, heart, and life. While God never forces anyone to do anything against his or her will, he will, because of the merits of the blood Christ shed on the cross, do everything possible to protect and lead a person towards salvation. Christ tells us always to pray for one another. So what this means, pray for your spouse. Never stop praying in your marriage. So in closing, with all of this said, do I know what it takes to have a successful and happy marriage? The short answer, no. But God does. The long answer, a good marriage isn't something you find. It's something you make, and you have to keep on making it. Putting Christ at the center of your marriage will only assist you in making it easier. That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We have so much more coming your way. You can find Return to Truth on many different podcast apps. Just search Return to Truth and look for the logo. Make sure to follow this podcast channel on any of those apps or websites to stay up to date. Don't forget to then comment and rate because I want to hear from you. And please share this podcast as much as you can. 
You can now follow us or reach us at Return to Truth on Instagram. Just search the name and look for the logo. Again, that is return underscore to underscore truth on Instagram. Just search the name and look for the logo. New episodes drop in every single Monday. So remember to stay tuned for our next episode as we return to truth.